Hello and welcome to another episode of T-Rex Talk. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how to talk about the Second Amendment. That's a lot of talking. I think that this is actually going to be a relatively short episode, although I recall now that I've said that three or four times uh, in a row now, and so far they have not been short episodes. But maybe, maybe this one will be. So we talk a lot about the Second Amendment here at T-Rex Arms. We've talked about it a lot publicly. We talk about it a lot internally. And we're going to be talking about the Second Amendment quite a bit this year because we're trying to be more involved politically. And we're trying to talk more to new gun owners and provide them with useful tools and information uh, and uh, equipment that will help them. Uh, this is not very different for T-Rex's main mission, but our desire to work directly with new gun owners is uh, something that we want to just make a particularly good effort at this year. And part of the reason for that is we have seen so many brand new gun owners appear on the scene in the last couple of years. And uh, I was kind of wanting to touch on this issue because of an article that I read this morning uh, on Ammoland. I'm going to link to the article in the show notes below, but Ammoland.com ran this article that was written by David Kudria, and he talks about uh, the huge numbers of new gun owners that we have in the United States right now. And he points out that uh, the Second Amendment community, the gun community, those of us uh, who are on the internet and talking about this, um, have really been pleased by this large number of new gun owners. And it really is, uh, I mean, it's its phenomenal. Obviously, we knew, looking very closely at the, uh, the background check numbers, that people were buying guns um, in record numbers during the year 2020 and during the year 2021. Um, but as people have done polls, it has become evident, uh, not clear, because these numbers are not super hard and fast numbers. There have been a number of polls that have taken that suggest that the number of people who bought guns in the year 2020 uh, and were new gun owners uh, is somewhere around 5 million. And the number of people that bought uh, guns in the year 2021 as brand new gun owners was also four or five million people. So we're talking about a really high number. It's not a, a number that we can know absolutely for certain, but it is a very high number. Something like two or three percent of the population of the United States bought firearms for the very first time over the last two years. That's a huge number. That's a gigantic metric. And in this article, David Kudria makes the point that, yes, that's a, a great, um, phenomenal number, but what does it mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that all these people have immediately jumped on board serious, consistent, and self-conscious Second Amendment advocacy the way that a lot of folks in the, the gun community kind of think that they have. Uh, and I would agree with him. That's a very excellent point. It is true that uh, these large numbers of gun owners bought their guns for a very specific reason. It should be noted that the year 2020 was not marked by a sudden resurgence uh, in an interest in trap shooting. These guns did not fly off of the shelves because uh, dove hunting was suddenly in vogue again. No, there was something else that happened that made people really, really, really want to own firearms. They wanted to own firearms for self-defense. And that is a fantastic starting point for the conversation about the Second Amendment, the conversation about gun rights, and the conversation about why guns are very important. So much better than starting with uh, hunting is fun, and then somehow you need to connect the dots to George Washington and uh, resisting tyrants. Anyhow, even though we have this really good starting point for a conversation, I think it is uh, important to remember that a lot of the folks that bought guns, uh, they did so to defend themselves, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a really consistent worldview. They may 
want guns to protect themselves because in the year 2020, they decided that they could no longer fully depend upon police officers to protect them. They could no longer fully depend upon cops. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have questioned every aspect of their worldview. That is entirely possible for people to have a more liberal mindset, realize that they need a gun to protect themselves, and then continue to uh, elect liberal politicians that uh, will try to take their guns away in the future. But nevertheless, it's a great starting point for a conversation. So how, how should we have that conversation? I've argued with people about gun rights uh, for years and years and years in a lot of different places. And one of the things that I think is really important that we first really understand our own position. There's an idea in uh, Christian theology called presuppositional apologetics, which I'm not really going to get into. But it basically, basically boils down to you need to be able to get straight to the foundational elements. They're really root causes, the real heart of the matter. What does a person presuppose that really drives his worldview? And the Second Amendment is a really fantastic litmus test of that. Now, I think that if you are pro-gun and pro-2A, there's sort of two ways that you can interpret the Second Amendment. If you're if you're anti-gun, there's dozens of ways, but never mind those. The two pro-gun ways to interpret the Second Amendment are as follows. The first interpretation is that the Second Amendment demonstrates that government is limited. Its power is finite. It cannot take power away from the people. It is the purpose of the people to use that power to restrain the government. Or the second interpretation is that the government is, in fact, unlimited. It has all the power. It is sovereign. And it would just be really nice if it let the people keep the guns because that would be really nice. Now, this is a pretty fundamental difference, but I know a lot of people who uh, are very good friends and fighting for the same causes, even though they believe in that second interpretation. For example, there's a bill here in Tennessee that uh, we at T-Rex are all very excited about. It's a bill that would lower the carry age from 21 to 18. It would allow 18-year-olds to carry firearms for the defense of their lives and other people's lives. This is a fantastic bill. And there's two ways that people appreciate this bill, uh, talk about it. The first is they recognize that uh, the state has no authority to prevent 18-year-olds from carrying weapons. But then there's also some people that think this is a fantastic bill because statistics and polls and voters uh, have said that the state should allow 18-year-olds to carry. The state should permit 18-year-olds to carry guns. And after all, since the government can compel 18-year-olds to go fight in foreign wars, uh, it should certainly do the fair thing, which is to allow the same 18-year-old to carry a gun at home uh, to protect himself. So this bill has support from a surprising array of people, and it has uh, support from pro-gun people on both sides of this definition. And I want to uh, encourage you guys to be glad that uh, people who have, I would say, an incorrect interpretation of the Second Amendment, while, while still being pro-gun, while still being pro-ability uh, to defend oneself, there's a lot of ways that we can work together to get this bill across the finish line and to put more firearms in the hands of people that need to protect themselves. And along the way, we have this opportunity to have this deeper cosmological question about rights. Because this is really the deep question that is posed by that Second Amendment. Do the people have the right to keep and bear arms because the government permits them to have that right? Or do the people have that right and the government is in no position to take that away? The Second Amendment is a great starting point for this idea that People have a right to resist their own governments. They have a right to <laughs> insurrect, uh, as CNN would say. 
And so when pro-gun people uh, get together to talk about uh, good pro-gun legislation, there's an opportunity to work together to really stand shoulder to shoulder and do this and appreciate the end result but also have the opportunity to talk about the deeper stuff, to have this conversation about where rights come from. And the good news is that these millions and millions of new gun owners who have probably not thought about these things, have probably not really been confronted by these these ideas and haven't really had the opportunity to have these kind of conversations uh, with really hardcore pro-2A gun owners like, uh, well, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you fall into that category. These new gun owners bought their guns because they wanted to be able to defend themselves. They took a step towards personal responsibility, and it's a great way to begin thinking about some of these deeper issues. I do think that when we have these conversations with people who are new to these ideas, I think that we should be incredibly accommodating. I think we should be appreciative of the fact that they are there. If they're going to help us with legislation that improves gun rights in the state of Tennessee or some other state or at the federal level, I think we need to really appreciate that we are pushing in the same direction, even if we have different presuppositions. And I think that we need to explain to them how much we actually appreciate that, even as we talk more deeply about what those presuppositions are. And now, I don't want to imply that we should be disingenuous with them. We should be really super clear about what we we actually believe. Because the most important way that uh, we can communicate these ideas is being really, really confident uh, and really careful in the way that we think through these fundamental issues uh, ourselves. But the opportunity to talk to folks that have purchased their first gun because they want to be part of gun culture 2.0 at some level, that's a really fascinating place to begin the conversation. Uh, And that brings me to a second point. Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, we have talked about gun culture 2.0 and 3.0 in the past, and uh, I actually want to kind of change my definition. I really... um, I really like all the stuff that we talked about prior to that, and I think that that uh, uh, focus on equipment and capabilities is probably not a bad way to divide gun culture 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, etc., but I do think that there's probably a better way, and that is by going back to the fundamental or ultimate purpose of, of what those guns are for. So i probably shift the definition a little bit to where gun culture 1.0 focuses on guns for uh, sporting purposes. Guns are collectibles. Guns are a hobby. And then gun culture 2.0 is uh, guns for the purpose of private defense, self-defense. And then gun culture 3.0 is a much larger view where we have our guns for public defense, the defense of others, the defense of communities, uh, the defense of a much larger chunk of the population. And uh, you'll notice that this definition is more ends-focused And it's not really very gear-specific. And this kind of solves uh, a definition issue that was was bugging me, even as I was recording those other episodes and talking about equipment and equipment capabilities and getting really into the weeds there. uh, I knew that there was something that was kind of missing because... If gun culture 3.0 requires night vision and suppressors and armor, then, uh, well, George Washington and the Founding Fathers weren't really (laughs) part of gun culture 3.0, which I think that uh, in many ways they really were. It's far more accurate to divide gun culture based on the purpose that people have their weapons for. So Jeff Cooper is somebody who uh, had a FUD gear, but he did not have a FUD mindset. Jeff Cooper was all about enabling people to defend themselves, which places him very firmly in gun 2.0 territory. 
As we all know, mission is what defines the gear that you need. And so Gun Culture 2.0, Gun Culture 3.0, these things define your mission, what it is that you are actually defending with these guns. And so I think that this is maybe a more helpful way to think about it. And then I guess if we wanted to get really picky, we could say Gun Culture 2.0 is people defending themselves with flintlocks and revolvers, and Gun Culture 2.1 is uh, automatics. Uh, that's that's where Jeff Cooper is with his 44 Automag in the 1980s. And then you got your Gun Culture. Culture 2.2 with, you know, we could, we could do that. But getting back to those new gun owners, the eight, nine or 10 million people who bought firearms for self-defense in the last couple of years, they're all basically in gun 2.0 culture. They may not really realize how to define that properly. They may not really realize what that means. They may not really realize, um, the level of personal responsibility that they have taken on themselves. But as they begin to think about it, I think they're going to be moving in a more positive direction. And I think that the possibilities that we have to engage with those folks and really help them out so that they can be better able to accomplish the mission that they purchased that gun for, better able to explain to others why they have it, and and better able to really think about why that is something that should not be taken away from them, uh, we have the potential to make a lot of headway and get people into uh, more of that gun culture 3.0 mindset. And and then, and then that sort of begs the question, where's gun culture 4.0? And again, I think it comes back to the ability to, to make stuff, the ability to really build those things that are worth protecting, building civilization, building tools, building the ability to make more guns, stuff like that. Uh, I think that's kind of where gun culture 4.0 lives. But uh, uh, this is not a conclusive uh, conclusion of mine. This is just a reminder that this, this podcast is supposed to be the beginning of conversations, uh, not the end. We start conversations here. We don't finish them. In fact, we don't really even finish the episodes properly. We just kind of we just kind of end them. By the way, this this is the end. <laughs>